you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 2, move over to chapter 3. Uh, we're going to skip around a little bit, so I'll try to give you some directions to where we are uh, in the story. But we're going to uh, visit the story of Moses uh, this morning with an eye uh, towards conflict. Uh, and so let's see what the Lord has for us uh, in the book of Exodus with the story of Moses. So starting uh, in verse 11, hear the word of the Lord for you, his church, this morning. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Then moving down to this beginning of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then skipping ahead to verse 15 at the end of the conversation that God and Moses have with the bush. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go. Gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So I pray by it this morning as we talk about something difficult that even I can feel the, the burden and the sweat begin to rise as I start to think about conflict and resolving hard situations with others. Lord, we pray that your word would implant in our hearts that it would flow out in living streams. Lord, comfort us, teach us, convict us, challenge us this morning. Would you be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to tell you this morning the story of my first full day in vocational ministry. 
Uh, I was hired as the middle school boys coordinator at First Presbyterian Church of Orlando in 2017. Uh, and my first day was uh, in May. I'd come home from college and I was just rolling in and I was going to work the summer, go back, finish up, and then start back in January. But my first full day on the payroll uh, was May of 2017. I can't remember the day, but it coincided with our rising sixth grade lock-in. We did this every year. Uh, we had about 100 sixth graders who would come spend the night uh, in our student ministry space. It was fun. And there came a moment in the night where we had all of the kids in our gym at the church. Uh, and I'm in there, and remember, this is my first day. Uh, and I look over and I see a boy who has a, I guess in 2017, these blow-up couches where if you grab the couch and you ran with it, it had an air hole, and it would fill up the couch, you'd close it real fast and you sit on it. These kids love these things. So one of the boys has one of these. He's running the length of the gym with this blow-up couch. Uh, and then there's another boy who's standing alongside, uh, who wants a turn. Now, uh, in my infinite wisdom at 22 years old, uh, I look over and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let them sort this out themselves. And that was a great idea until I look over again about five minutes later and one of the boys balls up his fist and lands a haymaker across this other boy's face. He drops down to the ground. Blood is coming out of his mouth. Uh, and you just imagine my stomach is in my throat. Uh, and a few days later, uh, it's my first week in the office, and I had both moms uh, sitting in my office. Uh, and we're having a conversation about what had happened at this lock-in. And one of the moms is completely dismissive of, her, of what her child did. Absolutely did nothing wrong. Uh, the other boy shouldn't have been antagonizing him. Meanwhile, the other mom is going on a verbal tirade at this other mom saying, what on earth did your child do? And she's saying nasty things. And then eventually in the conversation, it both turns to me. And they start getting mad at me, both of them, because I'm not taking a side and I'm not defending either child's actions. And so they start to attack me and start to say things about me and the student ministry and whatnot. And friends, that is the result. Maybe one of my biggest PTSD moments in ministry because that's what conflict does. When you're in the middle of conflict, right, it can leave scars, it causes anxiety, whether it's an impersonal conflict or whether it's deeply personal. What conflict does is it leads us to that place of anxiety and fear. It leaves us wounded, right? Conflicts can leave us bitter. And it doesn't really matter how you respond to it. It has the same effect, right? Some of us are fighters. You know, you feel your blood kind of start to rise a little bit. And you're like, okay, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that I am right, I am correct. I'm going to win this. It becomes a competition. My mom used to say that I could argue with a tree stump. I mean, I was just going to, I was going to make sure I won uh, the argument. And then some of other people resort to conflict and they're like, you know what? I'm just going to imagine a nice Caribbean beach somewhere. And I am not going to, we're, we're just going to pretend like what's happening in front of us doesn't exist. We're just going to throw it in the road. It doesn't matter. But no matter how you respond to conflict, or being in those moments. I love what Tim calls them, fierce moments of fellowship. However you respond in those moments, the common thread is that oftentimes those are the places of our deepest regret, aren't they? I know I've had a lot of nights where I've gone home 
after a day where I've had a conversation like that that didn't go the way I wanted to, and I'm just sitting there replaying it in my head again and again and again, sometimes saying, I wish I hadn't said what I just said today. And maybe other times I'm thinking, man, I just wish I had actually said something, right? And conflict like that, and maybe you have an experience like that, it leaves a mark, right? It leaves a mark, and when we handle it wrong, what it does is it leaves deep regret in our wake. And so I think that's what brings us to this Exodus story uh, this morning. And so Moses, he's the leader of God's people. In this story, he's not the leader yet, but he's about to be called into it. But he's thrust firsthand into a conflict. And so Moses is born an Israelite. And many of us know the story of him being floated down the river uh, because of Pharaoh's uh, order to kill the babies. And so Uh, Moses is taken into the Egyptian palace. And so Moses is an Israelite by birth, but he's raised as Egyptian royalty. And so he's kind of part of two worlds. And those two worlds kind of collide at the beginning of the story when he sees an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew. And what we see in this story is that Moses is going to respond to conflict in all sorts of different ways. First, he's going to fight. Right? He's going to see the injustice in front of him. He's going to get angry and he's going to kill the guard. And then after he has a conversation and he realizes that his faults are out there, what's he going to do? He's going to run. He's going to run out into the wilderness of Midian. And what comes later at the burning bush is that God is going to call him back into the conflict. He's going to call him back into the moment. But we're going to see that God has a completely different way that he wants Moses to handle this, because the way that Moses had handled it before, one, it didn't solve any of the issues, only exacerbated them, and two, it didn't result in any growth or confidence for Moses. And so what I want us to see this morning as we explore this story is, one, how do we deal with conflict in our lives? How do we deal with those hard moments between maybe your family or your friends or your colleagues? And what I want us to be honest about this morning is what is our natural instinct When we come into those moments, how do we tend to respond? And then maybe how can we take a step back and see that actually conflict is an opportunity. It doesn't have to be handled incorrectly, but conflict can actually be an opportunity where God chooses to minister, where God makes himself known. Friends, one of the ways that God makes himself known in this world, maybe more than any way else, is how we as Christians handle conflict. As people watch how we handle those things, they see who God is in us. And so I want us to use Moses as a case study this morning. And what I want us to see is, one, one, how God doesn't call us to dismiss and avoid conflict. And then also, on the other hand, how he doesn't call us to just simply conquer it all, make sure we win. But actually, what God calls us to do is to not be ourselves at all not be ourselves at all. And that's a little tongue-in-cheek, and I'm going to make sure we understand that a little bit more. But God calls us not to be ourselves at all. And so what should we look for? What should we learn? And so what do we learn from Moses? And so we're going to kind of talk about two don'ts, and then we're going to get to what we should do at the very end. But the first thing that we see is don't fight. Don't fight. And uh, beginning of the text, right, Moses responds in anger towards this Egyptian guard. He sees the injustice happening, right? The Egyptian is beating the Hebrew. That shouldn't happen. So he responds uh, and he kills the guard. And now it's an extreme situation, but what is Moses thinking in this moment? What is his goal? What is he trying to accomplish? Well, he's trying to accomplish justice, 
isn't he? Right? This guard is in the wrong. And so Moses needs to be the one who steps in and makes it right. He's going to kill the guard. The guard needed retribution for his behavior. Justice needed to be done. And so when we think about this kind of fight mentality that sometimes we have in conflict, when that, the energy and the blood begins to boil and you're like, I, I got to do something. I got I to gotta fight. I got to win. What is at the root of that response? And what I want us to see is that actually when we respond that way, it's usually not out of an evil intent. When people respond that way, it's not usually out of evil intent, but it's always with some view of justice in mind, right? Moses did not mean evil by his actions. In fact, he meant good, but what ended up happening was he broke a commandment against God's law. But I want you to zero in on Moses's heart for justice in that moment, right? Because when you are that person who responds that way in conflict, when your blood begins to boil, when you're like, I need to be right, that's what's in your mind. You have a view of justice at the root. And that view is that, you know what? I need to justify myself. I need to justify myself. I'm not going to stop until I'm understood, I'm seen as correct, I'm acknowledged and I'm respected, right? You're not gonna stop until you get your way. And I think about that in my own marriage sometimes. You know, I've noticed that the times in which Allison and I kind of get into little spats are the moments when, you know what, in my head, I had an expectation. And if Allison didn't lead, you know, live up to the expectation that was in my head, right, that causes a conflict. Or when Allison maybe calls out something that doesn't square with my view of myself, whether my view of myself is true or not. It didn't square with my view of myself. So what is my natural response? Well, I need to justify myself. That's what sin does in our hearts, friends, is that our core heart is always that we need to make sure that we are justified. We wanna make sure that we're right. We wanna make sure that we're respected. And so we have a heart of justice, But what sin has done in our hearts is it skewed that standard to always be towards ourselves. I think that's why when we react this way in a conflict deep down, it's actually a response to fear. It's a response to fear because if you don't fight for yourself, you're afraid that no one else will. No one else is going to stand for you. No one else is going to uh, be on your side. And so what's going to end up happening is that you're just going to simply be the punching bag. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to lose control. You're going to end up with the short end of the stick. And so that skewed view towards justice means, you know what? I always need to make sure that in all situations, I come out on top. I come out looking okay. And, you know, that feels like high stakes, In your marriage, if you say nasty things to get your way, isn't kind of what's at the heart of that? I just need to make sure that I come out just a little bit ahead. It's okay if we come out similar, but I just need to come out a little bit ahead. That's Isn't that what's going on in our public conversations? When we start talking about the problems of our society and justice, and we start to hear people, and you you just hear that selfishness kind of running underneath. And you get a little bit skeptical. And friends, that's what they hear when we talk about it too, is that selfishness that kind of runs underneath. 
we respond in a fight mentality because we believe the lie that we have to justify ourselves. And when we come to the scriptures, we fall straight into that same lie, right? We have to justify our beliefs and our values because we believe the lie that, you know what? God may not, right? Isn't that what happens in the culture wars, right? We have to justify ourselves because God isn't doing it right now. And what happens when we look back at the story of Moses is when Moses kills the man, what you see is the seed of regret that starts to form. Remember, he covers the man in the sand, right? There isn't this moment of like, okay, I have seen the injustice. I'm going to point it out to everybody. I'm taking the side of Israel. I want to make sure that everyone sees the, injust- the justice that I have accomplished. No, right? There's a regret there that Moses has crossed a line, right? He was the bridge between two worlds, and now that bridge has been completely severed, right? Moses did earn some form of justice, but he lost what he desired, which is greater justice. See, friends, I can't tell you how many moments there have been where I have said something aggressive, and I have immediately regretted what I said, because yes, I was right. I came out on top. I managed to make myself look good. I justified myself, but at what cost? I don't talk to those people anymore. I lost their respect. I lost their friendship. I lost their trust. I made them feel small. You see, the reason we respond fighting is because we feel that need, that longing to justify ourselves. But here's the thing. Justice is a good thing. It's all over the Bible, but what we're going to learn is that justice has to be established in the proper place. It has to be established not by us because our view of justice is skewed. It has to be established somewhere else. Otherwise, it becomes all about us. It becomes all about me. And so what then becomes the answer to conflict if our own response is we just want to protect ourselves? And before I get there, I want to go to the other side because maybe you respond more like this sometimes. Those flight responses, those non-confrontational types, you know, when things get loud, you're like, you know, I just want to reset everything. I want to get us to get back to the status quo, right? And so what happens with Moses is he realizes he's been found out, right? He realizes that he's, uh, his wrongs have been seen. And so what does he do? He immediately runs, runs to Midian, rather than fight, rather than explain, rather than talk to the Israelites about what he's doing and what his vision for the future is, he runs to the wilderness away from everything he knows. And I know that most of us feel that temptation in a conflict sometimes when, you know, everything starts to get a little bit heated. You're like, okay, how do I get out? How do I reset everything to the status quo? How do I make everything okay as quickly as possible, right? How do I calm the temperature at the table so that, you know, we can continue to have our family dinner? And what many of us respond to is denial, right? Nothing is happening. Everything is okay, right? Have you guys ever seen that meme of the dog that's sitting in the chair and his house is on fire behind him and he's just like, it's fine, Sometimes that's how we respond to potential conflict. We take it and we're like, okay, we want to just throw it under the rug. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. We just want everyone to pretend like it's okay. And a lot of us think that that's actually what the Bible teaches us to do, 
right? We're supposed to overlook offenses. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to show grace. But when Jesus talks about these things, they usually come after hard conversations, right? They come after bringing it up. And what our temptation is actually to do is just dismiss it, throw it away, like nothing ever happened. And then what do we do? We just hold on to that bitterness underneath it, right? It's just easier to do it that way. And when we're like that, fleeing through denial, right? We're also buying into a belief. So the ones who fight are buying into a belief, but the ones who flee are also buying into a belief. And that's this belief that reconciliation isn't possible, right? That if I bring these things up, that it's only going to be worse for me. It's only going to bring out anger towards me. It's only going to bring out harshness or rejection or heartbreak. And so what I want to what I want to do is I just want to carve out my sense of normal. Just let me live in my sense of normal. Maybe some of us go as far as to say, you know what? I'm not valuable enough or worthy enough to be cared about. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to say anything. Nothing that I do will fix anything. So why should I try? And what I want us to see is with both of the fight and the flight, those statements that you begin to say, notice what they have in common. They're about me, right? When you are in a flight type mentality, I, I want to make sure that nothing gets worse for me. I don't want to lose what I have or cause a stir that would hurt my standing. So you know what? I'm not going to respond. Right? We think it's helping everybody by throwing things under the rug and not talking about them, overlooking them. But in reality, just like the fight, we're only helping ourselves. Right? Who did Moses care about most in this story? He cared about himself. Right? I'm going to kill this guard because I need to exact justice. And I'm also going to run because I need to protect myself. Here's kind of the, the heart of the sermon so far. Conflict management that fails begins with a simple question, and it's, what do I want? Conflict management that fails begins with the question, what do I want? And when we begin with that question, generally speaking, what's going to happen is the wrong response is going to come out. So don't fight, don't flee. So what is God calling us to do? What is the response that we should have? And I think that the answer is, don't be you at all. Don't be you at all. Go to the end of the passage, 15 through 17, uh, when Moses is being called back into uh, Egypt to go free the Israelites. He's being commissioned. He's being sent. But I want you to notice how God finishes the commission. I tried to uh, exaggerate it when I was reading the text so you'd pick it up. God says this, I have noticed what they have done to you. And I promise that I will bring you up. The whole conversation between Moses and God is where Moses realizes he's inequipped. He is not the best choice to send back into Egypt. And God says what? I will do this. I will do this. You're going to be my mouthpiece, but I am going to accomplish this. And when you read scripture, that is how justice is established. You go read the book of Amos when the very famous, let justice roll like a river. Who establishes the justice? It's God himself. When you read the conquest narratives, when Israel goes to fight for the land, 
Notice what happens before every battle. The Lord has delivered them into your hands. It's not Israel going and winning the battle. It's the Lord has already delivered them into your hand. And so here's, here's the bottom line. The Bible is clear that justice and righteousness is never established by what the creatures have done or by what the creatures are going to do. Justice is always established because of the holiness and the action of God himself. We don't create justice. We are simply conduits, meaning it passes through us, of a justice that's already been established. And that's what the cross is about. Right? You think about the great conflict between God and man. We can't be in God's presence because of our sin. Right? We couldn't reconcile that problem with a fight or a flight response. We couldn't grit our teeth and say, you know what? I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to make God forgive me. He's going to have no choice. You couldn't do that. There was absolutely no amount of works, what we read in Galatians, that can get you to that point. And neither could you go the other way. Say, you know what? All this sin, we're just going to throw it under the rug. We're just going to act like it never happened. We couldn't do that either. But the gift of God was that you were justified. You were made right, not based on what you did or didn't do, but all on what God did. That's what Galatians 2.20 is all about, why we read that this morning. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That's not a 50-50, you know, God and I are just partners now. No, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. This life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's my dreams, my desires, my old self is constantly being put to death day by day so that I might live anew in Christ. And so it's not me anymore. It's Christ in me. And when we think about that in the specific realm of conflict, right, those temptations to either respond, fight, or flight, right, they pigeonhole us into that me mentality, right? It is all about me. It is all about what I want, my hopes, my expectations. But when we grasp this reality that we have been justified not based on anything we did or didn't do, but on what Christ has done for us. That helps us enter into these relationships completely differently. Right? It helps us enter in with an us mentality. Right? I can enter into these hard moments with a heart towards reconciliation because I care more about mending a relationship than simply declaring a right or a wrong, a winner or a loser. And what's that gonna mean? Well, from a worldly standpoint, are you gonna get everything you want? when we enter into those moments? No. Does it mean you're gonna have easy conversations? No. Right? Resolution is gonna be costly and it's gonna be hard, but when the justice of God has so grasped our hearts by the Holy Spirit, it becomes a lot easier to step into those conversations going, no, how is this not gonna benefit me, but how is this going to benefit us? How are we gonna glorify God in this situation? And that helps us not live as ourselves, but live as Christ in these moments. And what's that gonna look like? Well, when you're not living for yourself, you can feel the freedom to take ownership of what you contributed to a conflict, right? You can own your percent of the conflict, right? Living as, not as yourself means that you don't have to draw a line of like, you know what? I'm only gonna go so far with this person. 
You know, oftentimes Jesus calls us to forgive and show grace far longer than we are willing to. We draw a line in sand. But when you're not yourself, you can feel that freedom to say, you know what? I'm gonna extend grace, forgiveness, benefit of the doubt a lot longer than I would. Right, living not as yourself means that conflict is not just a battleground of selfish desire, but it's a place where we meet and glorify God. See, that's the simple prayer. There's a lot more that we could talk about, but that's the simple prayer that when we enter into these places, it's yet not I, but Christ in me. And that's why we come to this table, that it's the reminder that the broken body and shed blood did more than simply say, okay, come and just hang out with me, but it's literally the old self is being put to death and Christ is being raised in us and in all places of our lives. We can echo Christ because he lives in us. It's yet not I in Christ in us. And so as we come this morning, as we commune with God at the table, I want us to think about that, reflect on that, that this is more than simply we oftentimes think it is, that it's not about us, but it's about Christ in us and the places where you experience those conflicts. How tomorrow, who's gonna show up? Is it you with your agenda or is it Christ in you with an us mentality towards reconciliation? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your justice that it was accomplished and satisfied on our behalf. Lord, that it doesn't have to be about us, but it's about Christ in us. So Lord, as we come to this table, we ask that this bread and this cup would remind us of that again that the old is gone, the new has come, and that in all places of our lives, that can spill out, including the hard places where we experience conflict. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in them. In Jesus' name, amen.